0: Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. you friendly folks, find your way back to your seat. I know a lot of you, you're like me, you look forward to this time, you're be seeing some folks you don't get to see all the time, so it's good. We'll see how my voice holds up. I got a little bit of a scratchy throat this morning, but uh, made it through the nine okay, so just got to make it through this one. So if you've been around New Life this fall, you know that we've been talking about prayer, right? And, and hopefully not just talking about it, hopefully you're putting it into practice by praying for things. <clears throat> Maybe together with others, or individually, or both. I don't know about you, but I've, you know, I've personally gotten a lot out of it. And we've talked about nine different aspects of prayer so far. And you know what? We, we, we barely even scratched the surface, really. So today, we're going to talk about one more aspect of prayer and that's praying for others sometimes called intercessory prayer it uses the legal term it means we stand in the gap for the protection of someone else through prayer so you can grab your study guide from the worship folder or fire up your new life app and we'll get started but before we do that let's ask god to be in our time together okay god uh, this is your time I think you really have some things you want to say to us today to challenge us, but also encourage us. So, God, use it. I just want to deliver what you want said today. Speak to the hearts of your people like only you can do that. That customized message for everyone here in this room. God, give us uh, spirit ears to hear it. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now. I gave a message on this same topic back in September of 2011. You can always go online and listen to it. It's a very practical look at how to pray for others. But my sense is that God wants to talk to us about this subject today in a different way. Now, as I prepared to speak to you, I thought about a lot of stories I could tell you from my personal experience in terms of praying for others. Prayers for, for health concerns, some of them life and death. Uh, Prayers for broken marriages, prayers for job issues, prayers for finances. And, And I've seen God move in some miraculous ways as I've prayed for others. But I'm going to be really honest here. I also reflected on the times when I prayed for someone and the result wasn't what I asked for. The times that I prayed for healing and the person wasn't healed. Or I prayed for someone's finances and they didn't get what they needed. Or when I pray for someone's job and it still didn't work out. Some might look at that and say, well, see, praying for others is just a waste of time and energy. If I'm not going to get the outcome I asked for, why bother? How should we respond to that? If I don't get the result I want, does that mean my prayers didn't accomplish anything? Was it a waste of time? Should we evaluate the effectiveness of prayer for others, based solely on the outcome. Now, let me ask you kind of a different but related question. If the outcome of a situation we pray about isn't what we asked for, does that mean our prayer didn't get answered? Now, I don't think that's true at all. For believers in Jesus, I think all prayers are answered. But we need to keep in mind there's really three main answers to prayer. The first one's probably the most obvious. We ask for something and God says yes. This one's easy, right? We, we ask for something, God agrees, He does it, we see the results. And then we brag on God in these situations so He gets the maximum glory. We never forget that last part, do we? But there's a second answer that we don't like as much. And it's every bit as much an answer to prayer as that yes that we love to receive, and that answer is no. No isn't as much fun. It isn't as encouraging. But we can get a no for a number of reasons. You know, maybe it wouldn't be the, the best thing for the person we're asking for. Maybe God sees the you know, he sees the big picture of everything in the universe and maybe because of that he just has something better in mind. Maybe like a uh, Uh, Paul is thorn in the flesh in in 2 Corinthians 12. Maybe God's growing us by not making the situation easier. Kind of like those Chinese church leaders that Pastor Brian talked about last week. Or maybe God has a purpose in this situation like he did for Job. And then there's the third answer to prayer. And this one's the one I personally struggle with the most. God can also say, not now. Now, this one, sometimes it feels like a no. Or maybe it just feels like God didn't answer at all. But it is a way that God answers prayer. Why? Well, maybe the timing's not right. We we talked in this series about persistence in prayer. Maybe God wants to grow your faith by delaying the answer. Maybe there's resistance from the enemy that's holding back an answer. You know, in, in our instant gratification culture, waiting has become a lost art. And sometimes it may take a lot of time for the answer to come. Remember that story that Pastor Steve told us during the series about that guy that prayed for like 60 years for his friend to come to Christ? So keep in mind these possible answers to prayer, prayer as you pray. God answers, but not always in the way that you want. Okay, now knowing how God might answer prayers, let's go back to the question. Is praying for others of value even though we might not get the outcome we asked for? Is it worth our time? Does it really make a difference? When I answer those questions, we've got to look at the ultimate source of truth like we always do. We've got to look to Scripture, and, and the Bible has some very definite answers on this. Now, we could consider a lot of examples and instructions in Scripture about praying for others. There are a lot of places we could turn to. We could look at the Old Testament patriarchs. Remember way back in week one of the series, Pastor Steve talked about the prayer of Moses. In Exodus 32, God wanted to wipe out the nation of Israel for their sin of idolatry. And God said, I'm just going to start over, Moses, with your descendants, I'll build up a nation from you. But Moses prayed for Israel and God relented. Remember, Pastor Steve said that prayer altered human history. Or we could look at some New Testament examples, like the prayers of the early church. They were constantly in prayer. How about when they prayed for Peter in prison in Acts 12? God miraculously rescued Peter, and when he shows up, the people are praying for him are even like surprised to see that he's been set free. The Apostle Paul, he was constantly praying for people. There's many examples throughout the, the New Testament. He prayed for the Ephesian elders before he left them in Acts 22. He said he prayed for the Roman believers in Romans 1, 9, and 10. In, in Ephesians 6.18, Paul tells us we should be, always be praying for all believers. But today, I want to focus on a different example of praying for others. And when it comes right down to it, it's really the, most, the example that matters the most. It's the example of Jesus himself. We could spend an entire series looking at the intercessory prayers of Jesus But in our time together today, let's look at eight things Jesus prayed for and what it means for us here today. So let's start with the example prayer, prayed by our example himself, Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, starting in the middle of verse 9, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now you might say, well, now wait a minute. That's not a prayer for others. Really? Not so fast. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. You see it? Yeah, we can pray these things for ourselves, and I think a lot of times when we look at the Lord's Prayer, that's what we think about. But Jesus is showing us we should pray these things for others as well. Pray for somebody else's needs to be met. Pray for someone to have a forgiving spirit concerning those who have wronged them. Pray for the protection of someone else from temptation or from the schemes of the enemy. Jesus here gives us an example of praying for others. We need to follow it. Second thing Jesus prayed for, he prayed for enemies. Pastor Brian touched on this last weekend. Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus said, You've heard it said that love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus makes a bold statement here about prayer that cuts against the grain of human nature. He goes on to say, hey, if you only love the people that love you, how hard is that? He challenges us to show love by doing something that's harder. And notice what Jesus says about why to do it. He says, we need to do this so that we'll be children of our Father in heaven. What what does he mean by that? He means that by praying for our enemies, we follow the example of God himself. God loved us when we were his enemies. If we're his children, we're going to follow his example. Jesus did this on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When we do this, we're going to be so countercultural that people are going to take notice. Third thing, praying for the world. Matthew 9, verse 36, talking about Jesus. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. In 2009, it was right about this time of the year, I stood in the Temple Mount in Chennai, India, and looked out at that sprawling city. I saw vehicles going every direction. and the teeming masses of that city, it's it's a bigger city than New York City. And the majority of them have never heard about Jesus. For the first time, I truly understood these verses. Jesus has a heart for the people of the world. He loves them. He died for them. He wants to see them come into his kingdom. And that day my heart broke for the people of India if we share that heartbeat of Jesus, we're going to pray for the world. And I often pray for the gospel to sweep over India. But you know, given what we talked about last weekend, in terms of our own country and our culture sliding farther and farther from Jesus Christ, should we not pray this for the United States of America too? You know, we better be praying for the gospel to sweep over Washington, D.C. and Columbus, Ohio and Gahanna, and Reynoldsburg, and Whitehall, and Blacklick, and Westerville. But to reach the world, we need people willing to go. Paul said in Romans 10, starting in verse 14, How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? You know, Jesus wasn't just concerned for lost people. He was concerned for who would reach them. Pray for the world and pray for willing servants ready to take the gospel to them. Fourth thing that Jesus prayed for, he prayed for the children. Mark 10, 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, He said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So Jesus makes a point here about childlike faith by showing his love for the children. It says, When the disciples are saying, Hey, Jesus didn't have time for these kids, Jesus became indignant. He showed us his priorities. Children matter to Jesus. Now, we don't know exactly what he prayed here, only that he blessed them. And we can bless the children, too, through prayer. Pray that God will instill truth in them before the world comes along with its philosophies and ideas and chokes out the gospel message in them. Fifth prayer of Jesus, praying for those you lead. Luke 6, verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he designated apostles. Jesus spent the whole night praying before calling the disciples. What was he praying for? Now, I don't think what he was saying was, hey, God, help me choose the right guys like we might do. He already knew the right guys. And in fact, one of them was the wrong guy, and he knew that too. But it had to be that way for his mission on earth to be accomplished. I think Jesus was praying for the men he would lead. He knew it was going to be a tough road. He knew the things that that he would teach them were going to be radical and and push back against human nature and, and against what the religious leaders of the day had taught them. He knew they'd face some difficult challenges in the years to come. If you're a leader in your job, in a ministry, in your home, are you praying for those you lead? If not, you should be. Jesus did. If you lead a ministry, are you praying for God to raise up new servants and leaders? Hey, last time I looked at Hannah, we just sent a bunch of people to Whitehall. Seems like a while ago, God's doing great things over there, of course. But have we replaced all those leaders here? Frankly, a lot of our leaders here, I think, are stretched thin because folks haven't stepped into serving their leading roles at Cana. Are you in the game? Is God calling you to be? And you might say, well, you know, Pastor John, no leader. Okay. Are you praying for our leaders? for our pastors and elders and our ministry leaders week in and week out? Trust me, we need it. We wrestle with all kinds of stuff. Are you giving toward the resources we need to support our leaders? Look, we're about to call leaders to go to our East Campus, and we need to be praying for who God wants to go there. We need to pray that some will sense God's call and say yes to it. And we need to be praying for those here We're going to have to be raised up to fill spots as they go. We need to still pray for people to fill the spots that were vacated by the folks that went to Whitehall. And folks, listen to me. If we were truly praying for that, I think we'd have those people by now because I'm pretty sure that's a prayer God wants to answer. From where I sit, I think we have plenty of room to do better on this one. Listen to me. Lost communities need us. That's why we're taking the, the gospel out to these campuses. Why? We're not playing games here. This is serious business. The eternal destiny of the souls of our family and friends and coworkers and neighbors is on the line. Do we care about that? Do we care enough to actually do something about it? I'd say it's high time for new lifers to get serious about praying for this one. Sixth thing Jesus prayed about. He prayed against spiritual darkness. In Mark 9, we see the story of Jesus praying for a boy possessed by a demon. The uh, the father brought the boy to Jesus, and Jesus cast out the demon. But the disciples tried first, and they couldn't do it. Mark 9, verse 28 says, After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. Listen to me, folks. We are in a war. This war to net bombs and guns and fighter jets and tanks, it's a war against unseen spiritual forces. Ephesians 6, verse 11, Put on the full armor of God. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Hey, unseen or not, these forces are real. And we better not forget that. The greatest lie of Satan in our time is that he doesn't even exist. And you know what? He's got most people, a lot of people that say they're followers of Jesus, believe in that lie. Are you praying for the protection of your family and friends from the schemes and lies of the enemy? Are you praying their eyes will be open to it? You should be because our weapon in this war is prayer. Jesus said it himself, deliver us from the evil one. The seventh prayer of Jesus I want to look at is praying for protection. Now, this example of a prayer that Jesus uh, prayed is similar to the previous one, but in this case, it's a specific and targeted prayer for the disciples, and in particular for Simon Peter. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Now, this is a familiar verse, and I think it's easy to miss some things if you you aren't careful. First, why did Jesus pray this? Now, in the verses that follow, Peter says he's going to be with Jesus to the end. He says he'll die with him if necessary. And Jesus says, really? Because, you know, today you're going to deny me three times. But I think the Genesis' prayer came much, much earlier than that. I think it came on a lake in the middle of the night. In Matthew 14, Jesus walked on the water out to meet the disciples. They were well away from shore in a boat. And Peter saw Jesus and he says, Hey, can I walk on the water too? And Jesus says, Okay, come on then. And Peter did it for a while. But what happened? His faith got shaky and he started to sink. And Jesus said, Why did you doubt me? So back to Luke 22. So here Jesus tells Peter he's he's prayed for him, that his faith wouldn't fail. And when Jesus said that, Peter had to think back to that time on the water, right? Remember what had happened there. And Peter still says, hey, not this time, Jesus. Hey, this time I'm going to stand with you. You can count on me. And Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me despite Peter's bravado. Now, Does this mean that Jesus got a no answer to his prayer? Be careful here before you jump to that conclusion. Let's understand what the word fail means. It's an interesting word in the Greek. It means to stop or to end. Peter's faith faltered, it fluctuated, it wavered, but it didn't end. Not long after denying Christ, Peter did turn back, just like Jesus said right here. And he did amazing things for Christ. So I'd say this prayer was answered with a not now. And not long after this, then it became a yes. Now we've looked at seven prayers of Jesus, but before we go back to the question about whether our prayers matter, even if we don't get the outcome we asked for, let's look at one last prayer of Jesus, and it's a big one. This one is praying for the church. John 17 records the prayer of Jesus known as the high priestly prayer. Some people call it the true Lord's Prayer. And here we see Jesus knowing that his ministry on earth is at the end, pouring out his heart to the Father. And what he says is deep and rich and meaningful. Here we get a glimpse of what was important to Jesus before he would face the agonizing trials that would come over the final hours of his life on earth as a man. The prayer fills the entire chapter. I want to read it to you. And just... Envision yourself there hearing this. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What an amazing prayer. We could take weeks to unpack what Jesus says here. For now, we're just going to look quickly at the three main things that Jesus prayed for. First, Jesus prays to be glorified in verses 1 through 5. He asks the Father to glorify Him, and He says that He has glorified the Father by completing His mission on earth, which is about to conclude. Now, this first part, some of you are going to say, now, wait a minute, that's not a prayer for others. That's a selfish prayer for Jesus Himself. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this today, but we've discussed this before at New Life Listen, bringing glory to God is in our best interest. His glory revealed in us, and in the world in general, that's the best thing that can happen. It's going to change lives. It's going to change us. It's going to change others. It's going to change people who don't know Jesus yet. And let us not forget that the mission of eternal life that Jesus was on and the price that He was going to pay for it, that's hardly selfish. We're the beneficiaries of that. Second, in verses 6-19, through Jesus prays for the disciples. Now, he knows they're about to desert him in his time of need. And he knows they're going to face some tough times after the resurrection. Once again, Jesus prays for their protection from human powers in the world and from the forces of darkness. The disciples would turn the world upside down for Jesus. In an era without electronic communication or mass media, even the printed word, and they did it without cars or planes. And they did so despite persecution and trials and problems of all kinds. This prayer was answered with a yes, but there is a caveat. Ultimately, every one of the disciples was killed for their faith except John. And he spent his final years in exile. And those that were killed, some of them were it was in very unpleasant ways. The men, these men, they did reach the known world for Jesus. And that's really quite incredible, considering the era they were in. But the final outcome was not complete protection from the world. God was glorified through the lives of the disciples and through their deaths. And he still is today. 2,000 years later, we still talk about what they did, how they lived out their faith, and how they died for it how they counted it a privilege to suffer for Christ, like Pastor Brian talked about last week. Their impact in the world is felt to this very day. And then third, Jesus prays for all believers. In verses 20 through 26. He prayed for the church, which, by the way, didn't even exist yet. And if you're a believer in Jesus, he prayed for you. Jesus prayed for the unity of all the believers that would come. Now, given the history of the church, I think you could argue that the outcome of this prayer hasn't been exactly what Jesus was asking for. The church isn't as unified as it ought to be. There have been many disagreements over teaching among those who call themselves followers of Christ over the centuries, and there still are. And even within individual churches... People don't always get along. It shouldn't be that way, but our flesh overwhelms our faith. All too many churches have imploded due to a lack of unity. So did this prayer of Jesus get the answer of no? Well, given human nature, maybe it's a miracle of God that we can be unified on anything. And then there's that spirit-fed fellowship that you feel with other believers when you meet them, even if you don't know them. Have Have you felt that? I have. But there have been many cases when believers in Jesus haven't been as unified as he'd desire. All that being said, the answer to this prayer is not no. The ultimate fulfillment of this prayer is yet to come. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to experience it in the kingdom of heaven. So back to our question. If the outcome of praying for others isn't always what we want to happen, why pray? I think the answer is that we often misunderstand the purpose of prayer. You know, praying isn't like some magical Aladdin's lamp. We rub it to get our way. God's not some cosmic vending machine. Push the right button and get what you want. You know, prayer gives us a direct line to God. It's a chance to spend time with the most important being in the universe. We can make requests and He wants to hear them. But prayer also aligns our hearts with God's heart. Pastor Steve talked about this a few weeks ago. Prayer aligns our desires with God's will. It's not just that prayer changes circumstances. Many times it does, like that example of Moses with Israel that we talked about. But there's going to be times that it won't. Or sometimes it will change the situation, but not exactly the way you asked for. Or it may not happen right away. But prayer will change us. It's all about our relationship with God. Not what he can do for us or those we're praying for. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver. Jesus loved people enough to die for them. Praying for others is a way for us to increase our love for them. It aligns our heart with His heart. It aligns our goals with His goals. It helps us become more like Christ. Unselfish prayer for others has a side benefit of what it does in us. When we have a stake in the outcome of a situation being faced by someone else, and we pray for it, it just helps us to care about them more deeply. God may do the miraculous for them. God may answer the prayer by prompting someone to intervene in the situation. God might even use your prayer to prod you to action to intervene in the situation where you can. Now sometimes when God chooses not to move in the way we're asking for, He'll reveal why. Not always. God's been gracious to me to do that from time to time, but Think about that example of Job I mentioned earlier. Job never did, God never really did tell him what the purpose was for all that he went through. God may have purposes we can't see or understand in the situation we're praying about, but it doesn't mean he's not at work. God's answered yes to so many of my prayers. On balance, probably the majority of them. But he's also said no sometimes. And I don't always understand why. It's not really my place to understand. You know, it really goes back to Peter on the water. Are my eyes on Christ or am I doubting Him? And if I'm doubting, I'm sinking. Praying for others does matter, it is worth your time and effort. It's going to often affect the outcome of the situation. Sometimes like we expect it to, sometimes not. It may take time for the ultimate answer to come. And sometimes it won't change the outcome. God decides that. But it will change you. And that's how Jesus gets the glory, just like he prayed in John 17. The more you become like him, the more his mission of eternal life on earth is fulfilled through you. That's worth it, no matter what the answer. Now to wrap up our time today, I want to spend just a little time talking about one particular type of prayer for others. This is something God's been putting on my heart for months. As I've come to some of the Saturday morning prayer gatherings, it's been a consistent theme among many of you I pray with, some of you right here in this very room. And I'm talking about praying for prodigals. Most of you are probably familiar with the story that Jesus told about a lost son in Luke 15. I'm going to read at least part of it to you, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. For many of you, this story hits home because you've lived it or you're living it now it does for me because our family's been through it our son Ben was in church fresh out of the maternity ward we taught him the truth I read the Bible with him he went to youth group he, we did all those things as a parent that you should try to do to instill truth in your kids but in high school he started to listen to some other voices He was influenced by people that said things like, how can you believe that garbage? He didn't get in trouble. He really wasn't out with the wrong crowd. He actually had very good friends. He just listened to arguments from people that are blind to the truth. Regardless of all that, we made him come to church. You know, I said that you live under my roof, you follow my rules thing. and He was here physically, but he was tuned out. Once he got older, we, we let that go. It wasn't helping. We tried to influence, but it didn't do any good. But the one thing that we really did do was pray. And we prayed long and hard. After eight years of this, I remember a rainy night driving back from Athens. Ben's best friend had had a senior recital at OU, and we'd gone together. And on the way back, Jane tried to talk to him in the beginning about the truth of the gospel. Bed said, you're welcome to believe that if you want to. I just don't. Many of you, you resonate with this because you've been there. You've had those conversations. You've prayed more times than you can count. For those of you with prodigals, what can we take from this parable that gives us a blueprint for how to pray? I think there's four quick things that we can see that will help us. First, Be expectant. The parable says that the father saw the son a long way off. It doesn't say that a servant came and told him the son was coming back. It doesn't say he knew it when he knocked on the door. That tells us the father was actively looking for the son. The father was watching. He expected the son to come back. I knew we'd taught Ben the truth. And I've really been discouraged at times. I always hung on to the belief that he would return to the truth. Your prayers are like that father scanning the horizon looking for the sun to come home. Second thing, don't give up. The story doesn't tell us exactly how long the sun was gone, but it's long enough to go to another country. A distant one, it says, probably in that day by walking or riding an animal. He had time to go there, blow his whole inheritance, get to a place of need, take a job feeding pigs, and to be doing that job long enough, it says, to come to his senses. And after that, he had to come back home from the distant country, probably on foot. I'm guessing it was probably years Through all of that, not even knowing what was going on with the son, the father was still looking for him to return. Some of you have been waiting a long time for your prodigal to come back home. Don't give up. Keep watching. Keep praying. No matter how bleak it looks, the last chapter isn't written as long as they're still out there in the distant country. Keep praying until they come home. Third thing, God has not forgotten you. You might say, where do you get that from the story? Well, the the father in the story represents God the father. He has a whole human race full of children that are lost. And he's expectantly watching for them to come home. God appreciates it when you model his role in the story. Like we've talked about today, your prayers for your prodigal, they're already in line with his heart. He wants to give his children good gifts. You know what? Listen to me. God loves your prodigal more than you do. He sent his son to die for them. He longs for them to come home. And I think Father God has a special place in his heart for you as you pray for your prodigal. And one last thing. Pray for help from others it's not in the parable but i can't help but wonder did somebody in that distant country try to help the son did did someone encourage him to leave the pigsty and go home it does say that nobody would give the son anything when he was in need so maybe in a way they they did that by not enabling him to stay there was the father back home praying that god would send someone to intervene in the life of his son You know, listen, it may not be fair, but all too often your prodigal is going to listen to somebody else before they're going to listen to you. God's given us free will, and He wants that prodigal to come home willingly. But that doesn't mean He's not going to orchestrate the circumstances to get them pointed in the right direction. Pray that God will send godly people into their life, and they'll hear the truth from them. Pray that circumstances will drive them home, like in the parable. Now, there's some of you here, you're tuning me out on this prodigal thing because you're saying this business doesn't apply to me. I don't have a prodigal. Not so. Look around, folks. There are prodigals all around you, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, maybe right here in this room. Love them. Care. Help them see they're in the pig pen and they need to go home. There's a better way encourage them to go back to the father. Put yourself in God's hands and be that person that God is sending into the situation. One morning, 6 months after that soggy trip back from Athens, I was praying for Ben, and I knew I could just sense God was saying to me Ben would soon come home. And it was about 2 weeks later, he did. Ben came home because a new lifer reached out to him with some kind words. That new lifer was intentional in showing that he cared. And Ben turned back to Jesus. He said he always knew the truth, he just came back to it. For those of you with prodigals, be expectant. Don't give up. Know that God has not forgotten you. Pray someone into the situation to help. And every one of us should be looking to point prodigals home. Let's pray. God, I just thank you again for putting this on my heart. I knew this is what you wanted me to talk about. And God, as I've prayed with so many new lifers on this subject over the last several months, I just know it's on your heart too. Some of these folks, God, they're at the end of their rope. They're ready to give up. They want to throw in the towel. Help them, God. Give them that lifeline they need to just keep going and not give up. Help them to know you've not forgotten them and you've heard every single prayer. Just like Revelation said, our prayers are stored up in bowls ready to be poured out. I pray for them. And God, for every prodigal, I pray that you would send someone into their life. God, help them to see the truth that they don't need to live that way. There's a better way. Help them to return. God, as we close out our time by praying together, I'm just asking you to be in what's about to happen over the next few minutes and do what only you can do, God. We need you. And I ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.